An Honorable Profession is brought to you by Tech for America, an organization dedicated to providing a platform to solve America's toughest public challenges. For more information, visit t4a.org. That's t, the number four, a.org. Welcome to An Honorable Profession, a podcast giving America hope since 2018. I'm your host, Ryan Coonerty, an Honorable Professions and New Deal podcast. The New Deal is an organization that supports some of the most thoughtful and innovative voices in American politics. Go to newdealleaders.org to see who these leaders are and what they're doing for their community. I love these men and women because they're bringing sanity to politics in an insane era. This week, I'm talking with Houston City Councilwoman Amanda Edwards. She's a native Houstonian who went to Emory and Harvard Law School, worked in New Orleans after Katrina, and returned to her hometown to practice law and run for office. She's an energetic and innovative leader. She also has a great laugh. Amanda Edwards, well, thank welcome you for to having an honorable me, impression. Thank you for that nice introduction. That was very nice of you. No problem. And a Southern drawl is always <laughs> welcome, on, uh, welcome on the podcast. So I want to talk first about your path. Um, you've been committed to public service from a very young age. What got you interested? And tell people a little bit about how you got to where you are today. Absolutely. So I think, I, you know, there is a large difference, a big difference between being interested in public service and actually making the leap. Um, I've always been interested. I've worked in the state Senate, worked on the Hill. I mean, you name it, I did it in terms of leadership, right? So that was something that I was passionate about. I was always passionate about wherever I was trying to make that community around me, whether that be my college campus or some other environment better than it was than when I found it. And so that was always something, I guess, ingrained in me from a very early age. I think service projects all the time, every weekend. I mean, you know, I can't tell you a time I can remember where it wasn't on my calendar to do something service-oriented. And, and so, was your family like that? Yeah, Is that I what, think so. Okay. I mean, it was... I don't, re- I don't really remember there not being a service component in my household. So it wasn't a very strict or, you know, something we discussed. It just was something that we did. And so a lot of my service related to church groups I was a part of, different groups that was just part of your way of being is to, okay, what's your brownies volunteer, you know, opportunity or something else or um so moving forward, I, I had a lot of leadership uh, experiences growing up in college and those types of things and, and exposure. But I think the difference for me really was about I'd gotten to a point after law school, I'd gone to New Orleans and, and started a program for kids, which was a really uh, imperative part of my development in terms of really thinking about service, but um, had done that and clerked as well, but was back in Houston working as an attorney in a large law firm set was on a bunch of boards, nonprofit boards and organizations, was having a great experience. But I really had to challenge myself to ask the question, are you really aligned with your purpose? So this is from Oprah Winfrey. So I start. I let Oprah Winfrey get in my head in that regard, but it really became a question of I felt like I was dancing around the periphery of what I was really supposed to be doing, and it really required me to confront a lot of fears that I had, and I think 
That's the difference between a dream realized and one that's not is is your willingness to confront the things that you're fearful of. And so, you know, what would be the result if I lost an election and what would it feel like to leave my career and go in a different direction of public service, particularly on a local basis where you think, oh, the mayhem of politics. And of course, the challenge for me also being that I didn't like politics was what would it be like to be in politics 24-7? And, and what it has been has been a remarkable experience so far because I've been able to have so much emphasis on service. I have to navigate politics, but the service component really has been at the center of my experience, which has been really rewarding. Let me just acknowledge that that when you sort of glossed it over, but you went to Emory, you did public, you had a public service fellowship, you worked in the state legislature, you came, you worked on Capitol Hill, you went to Harvard Law School, and then after Katrina, you go to New Orleans, yes. uh, which is a remarkable path, and you start a writing program for kids to sort of sort through their feelings through writing. And maybe let's just talk briefly about that experience in New Orleans. Mm-hmm. And then I want to get back to a, a woman who uh, runs for office and uh, works in politics, but maybe doesn't like politics <laughs> and how that all works. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I back to New Orleans. So um, I grew up in Houston, had family from Louisiana, but not any potential, I mean, uh, no direct tie in New Orleans, but saw on television, just like most people did when Hurricane Katrina happened and what happened in the aftermath of it. Um, and it really just inspired me to go down and make some type of difference, but one that was unique to me. So um, rather than me going and, and, let's say, building a lot of habitat houses and, and making that my contribution, I really wanted to create something or do something that um, was kind of tailored around my strengths, my interests. And so I thought about that and, and got a clerkship, so I did have a job. <laughs> <laughs> Always I remember good. that being a concern of many. It was like, now what are you doing when you graduate? I graduated from from Harvard Law School. I moved down, and I did have a job. It was a clerkship, and so I did that during the week. But on Saturdays, taught seventh graders how they could use writing as a tool of empowerment. And the reason why that was important to me, I had a lot of people around me that used writing in a variety of ways. And exposing these young people to the fact that you can be a writer, you can write books, but you can also uh, write for a newspaper. You can write your own op-eds. You don't even have to be employed in a, in that realm. Um, there are so many different things that you you really use writing for, and you can use that to funnel some of the uh, energies and emotions that you have regarding some of the challenges that were being faced after the storm, as well as thinking about how you can solve problems relating to that. So um, now in my office, in fact, you know, that's a very something I always carry with me is to try to empower people as a whole or empower communities. That's why part of why I ran for office. And so we have this this thing called Be the Solution. So I have this task force teaching young people how to be the solution rather than talk about problems or talk about potential solutions. Make yourself part of that. And so that was one of the things that I did with the with the writing program called the New Orleans Writing Project in New Orleans. We called it Project Now. So um, that's been a really, really uh, pivotal and foundational uh, aspect of my development as a leader in my adult life. So you're in New Orleans, and then you, uh, you, you move back home. And you're working as a as a corporate lawyer or as a public finance lawyer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and tell me about that decision to to run for office for the first time, and you know what went through your head. 
It was one of the most frightening uh, experiences I can tell you about in my adult life. I, I don't know what I thought was going to happen. I think so many, uh, so many times we just think the world will blow up. We, and we have this weird, it's illogical, but fear is not necessarily based in logic, right? And so you have this weird thought that something, you're just going to blow up your life. And in, I will be honest, when you first begin running for office, it will very much feel <laughs> that way. There were many days when I came home and I said, why did I do this to my life? You know, because you were now coming, you know, I'm very A-type, I'm a lawyer. Um, I'm used to having my ducks in a row, understanding things in a very clear fashion. And suddenly I was in this amorphous space that I didn't quite understand, but was going to need to figure out pretty quickly. So it feels very much like um, building a plane and flying it at the exact same time. That's completely normal when you begin running for the office for the first time. But being willing to put yourself out there and allow yourself to do that and and just get outside of your comfort zone. There are people who have invested in you. And so you worry, are you concerned about that? Who would you be letting down in your professional life or in other spheres? And they have their own images of who you ought to be and thoughts about what you should be doing with your with your life. And so that's fear. That's something that's scary. And so I think um, uh, you have to confront that. Uh, I told my job, I shared with my job, I think they uh, wondered. (laughs) (laughs) I'll say it that way. I think they wondered why I was making that decision, particularly for those that knew me well, seeing as though I don't even really like politics. So why would you go to city city hall of all places? But in my mind, it really was a process of thinking through where was I going to have the impact? If this was a decision I was making, I was leaving my life, my comfort and going to a place that may be uncomfortable in order to live out this purpose of mine, where am I really going to be able to live that out? Meaning connect with the impact that I'm trying to have on the community. So I ran because I really wanted to see an impact, I mean, make an impact, make a, make a transformational difference in my community. So the way, the reason I'm able to run around for mil- millions of hours at a time the way I do is because the reward is coming back in the form of that impact. Seeing that impact come to fruition has been such an inspirational experience for me um, and rewarding. And so that's why I ran and the impact that I saw. Uh, I saw me being able to make um, at that time was on a very local level, things like transit. Um, Our city is very behind with where it ought to be with regard to transit and having a cohesive transit system. The underserved populations in our community, how do we responsibly revitalize some of our under-resourced areas in a way that brings them to the table instead of displaces them? Um, Those were things I was passionate about. Our economy, and so Thinking about how did we how do we create a, a city of the future? How do we make Houston the place where the Gulf Coast and the world's future meet? Those are some of the ideas and the things that float around in my head um, about what I wanted to make a difference in. Uh, in how I wanted to make a difference in the community. And so um, running for council actually was a right, a good fit for me in terms of allowing me the opportunity to pursue some of those policy efforts and, and, and transformational changes that I wanted to see. And so you're working, you're doing, you're doing public sector bond financing, which is benefiting the public. Mm-hmm. You're on boards, you're volunteering in the community. What's the difference that you thought you could make at the city council level that you weren't, 
Because you were, you were still, you're having a major yeah. positive impact on your community. I'm telling you, I was dancing all around my purpose, right? <laughs> okay. So I'm, I'm, I'm having a good, I'm having an impact on the community. It's positive. I felt good about what I did. I didn't hold my head down in shame. I felt proud of the hospital that was just built or the school that just got uh, reconstructed. And, you know, all of the things that we were doing were for public good. And, and I felt great about them. But my type of difference really relates to empowerment, that human capital component, that policy fix. There are a lot of disconnects on a policy level that uh, unfortunately creates paradigms or systemic issues in our communities. And so I, every time I got to, a, uh, you know, build a school or get to uh, get, a, get an opportunity to contribute to uh, building a hospital, my mind always goes towards the policy of, well, the issue or, you know, what we've really got to do is make sure that we're providing access to health care or what we've really got to do is make sure that we're equipping our communities with wraparound services or upward mobility opportunities. And so the policy piece to me still seemed like there was a gap. And so when by the time something got to my desk, it was really just, OK, let's see, figure out how to get this financing done but in terms of just the broader question of how do we change the, the direction of the ship? And that was where I think my real uh, opportunity effect change uh, rested. And so I was glad to get off of the periphery of that, that, that realm and really dived in deeply. And so if you're trying to move policy, and Houston's a big city, it's 2.3 yes. million people. Yes. You have 650 a, square miles, so just a tiny little southern town. Just right? a tiny town <laughs> with a 16 people on the city council and That's a right. mayor. So uh, if you're trying to move an agenda through, how do you do that to move both your colleagues, you need nine votes to, to make something happen, and you need to move the bureaucracy, the city bureaucracy, as well as engage the community. You know, what's your day like? How different has it been than what you thought it was going to be? Uh, what's your experience? Okay, so I'll take the second question first, which was how different has it been uh, than I thought it was going to be. It's been immensely different. I think my worry was trying to manage my expectations going in. There were 17 you would be one of 17 votes at a table, 16 council members plus the mayor, meaning the 17 votes. Um, thinking about it that from that vantage point, we have a very strong mayor form of government. You can't get anything done if you don't go through the mayor. All of these things, right, that are doubts and realities that can be in your mind. And you'd really just have to think think be wise and smart about how you navigate that right so yes uh in through council i end up doing things in a very unconventional way for instance um i started the mayor's task force for technology and innovation through a budget amendment um and so there are some things that i've been able to do not because of the obvious way one thinks they might be able to do it but thinking about how to be strategic so maneuvering through the politics of a situation but really doing that for the benefit of the community. And so from the task force that we started back in 2016 in terms of that budget amendment has now grown into a whole community-wide effort. We're building an innovation district um, as we speak. Uh, we're working on raising venture capital fund dollars um, in our community because that was a shortcoming of our city. 
We're looking at other ways uh, to be inclusive in our efforts as we do those things, right? So as we do various things to build that ecosystem, we want to make sure that the most diversity in the country isn't just diverse in terms of its demographics and population, but that we're actually solving challenges that impact diverse communities. And so starting a task force right now, working on getting that started in terms of how do we increase access to capital for women and minority-owned businesses? Our minority-owned businesses, nationally speaking, um, can be three times less likely to gain access to capital than a non-minority counterpart. That type of disparity cannot continue to persist, and certainly not in the most diverse city in the country. So picking up on challenges like that and really kind of navigating through that, that's something that excites me, something that needs to be done. And and you can really build a coalition around efforts like that um, because of its wide, uh, wide and far-reaching nature. Um, certainly, there have been challenges. Um, you know, I, I remember thinking, oh, it's going to be too many, too much politics. There is a lot of politics. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there are politics all around. Um, but you, you can keep your focus on, on being impactful. And so part of what keeps me very grounded to my work and the service is that I make sure I'm out in the field talking to residents at civic club meetings, not when it's election time, rather to actually have that type of engagement I think we're supposed to have with our government. I think it should be a dialogue, should not start and should not finish with election day. I believe that's it starts there, but it's a continued relationship where you're getting information from the community. You have the community knows you, trusts you, and you trust them and know them, and in turn are able to then be more responsive or better responsive to the community needs. And so one illustration was uh, of that was after Harvey uh, hit, we d- we mobilized hundreds of, of volunteers to go out checking on our lower income senior citizens, making sure they had resources that were immediately needed. But beyond that, in you know trying to get them connected to case management help to help rebuild their homes and those types of things, and went door to door to do that um, because that's us meeting them where they were rather than expecting them to come out to us or pick up the phone and call us. Sometimes you've got to call people when they're most vulnerable, and so that was one example of the way I would like for us to continue to engage residents. Um, that makes a difference in our community. And I want to come back to some of those policies, but just from a from an outsider's point of view who may wonder, you know, what's a city council member in Houston's day like? Uh, and also give us a sense of your, your best day and your or your worst day. <laughs> and I have those probably in back to back. It can happen back to back. Depends um, on sometimes by the hour. The maybe. Day to day. It's by the hour. It literally is. It is so varied beyond your wildest imagination. I could start my day. I start my days very early in the morning. Um, I can I, I do some work. And I may have meeting, I may have breakfast meetings, I might have um, something, some type of appointments, I have meetings, I'm going in and out of giving speeches all day long, it's just kind of an in and out, in and out. At some point, you're reviewing material, making sure that you're having conversations that you need to have in route places. So it's very high paced day, uh, a fast paced day. 
um, is how I would describe it. Um, and it's very varied. So I might be with kids um, doing some kind of outdoor activity one minute, a dedication of a playground. The next minute I'm giving a speech to business leaders and talking about our innovation district. The next minute I may be out talking to our Be The Solution Task Force and trying to inspire them to become more active and engaged in their community. We might be holding a senior conference. We just hosted a senior conference a few weeks ago. Uh, We do it on an annual basis. We hosted uh, close to 1,200 senior citizens and a full day's worth of conference classes and all kinds of activities. And so it is so varied. We may have business meetings. I might be in my budget meeting. I'm the vice chair of the budget committee. And so I am constantly taking off one hat, putting on the next (laughs) hat, and literally maybe changing clothes in between those things too. So <laughs> not easy. Now so but tell me, has there been a day that where you're like, yes, this is why this is what makes it worthwhile? And has there been a day where you're like, this is this is way harder. I'm not sure I would have signed up had I known. Oh yeah. Um, you know, easy, a great day would be the senior conference, seeing seniors come in. I, I know it sounds like you said, why would you focus on that and with your be the solution work and your community empowerment work? But you know, when a lot of times when seniors are are at that stage in their life, they're being told what they can't do. They're seeing things deteriorate. They're seeing changes that are not positive. Let's just put it that way. Some seniors fall into depression. They are not necessarily feeling at their peak in life. And so giving them that opportunity to say, pause right there, whatever you were thinking when you walked in that door, pause on that thought. What we're going to do is retool and thinking about how this is the beginning of a new adventure in your life. So we had one speaker come in, didn't know how to swim, was morbidly obese, learned how to swim at the age of 58, became a championship swimmer um, as a senior citizen. And at the age of 77, she still swims and competes nationally. Wow. Yes. So meaning this can be the beginning for you, but it all depends on your mindset, depends on with whether or not you're equipped with the motivation, the inspiration, and then the information that you need in order to excel. And so seeing them when they get there versus when they come out, and they're just, I mean, that just warms my heart in a way that I cannot describe to you. And so that kind of transformational difference that I'm making in terms of a human capital investment is hugely rewarding for me. Um, Bad day. Um, Bad days can be bad. Uh, (laughs) I remember thinking to myself, I felt really discouraged. Uh, I think it was when we passed the fiscal year, fiscal year 20, was it 2018 budget, fiscal year 2018 budget? Um, this was in last year. And I think the same day, learned we'd just gotten another, we gotten sued by the fire department, ongoing lawsuit. Um, at the table, I had some budget amendments, was really excited about, had um, mentioned to you the success I'd had the previous year with regard to that. And I got punished politically for not supporting some of my colleagues at a time that, um, they wanted to increase some of the the funds that they were able to utilize in their districts. And at that time, because of all the reductions, I just felt like increasing 
any of those budgets really could be um, uh, something that would not have a positive impact overall to to the full picture for the city as an at-large council member. That's kind of also the hat that I wear. And so I remember getting pretty hammered pretty badly in that meeting and saying, could this really just be because of politics? And the answer was, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and But I had to remember that that was today is a bad day. Tomorrow will be a better day, and 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 learn your lesson from that experience as well. Which is sometimes I like to think that politics aren't at 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 issue in decision making, and I can be very wrong with that because clearly it was. And so those those days can be tough, but you know that there's another day around the corner that will be equally as wonderful. So, um, so yeah. So so when that happens, do you go out? Do you have to go meet with the council members who didn't support you? Try to repair bridges. What, what, what's your was, what's your what's your strategy now? It was a funny. It's a it's actually a funny story I like to share with people. So I had a good friend on council who's uh, recently passed away, but he I didn't know what was going on that day, and I I literally just thought people were tired and they were not in a good mood. There had been so much discussion. We had been in there all, all day long trying to pass this budget just everybody was in a bad mood and so I just thought it I didn't think it was me and then my colleague at the time uh pulled me aside and he says you know why you got a heart they everybody gave you a hard time on these amendments I said no well why did they and he said you've been punished (laughs) (laughs) so I said I said why would I why would anybody want to and I was so confused and he said because you didn't vote with us and next time you need to do that and and you know he he was a friend and, you know, the takeaway wasn't necessarily that I needed to talk to each person because I, I clearly got the picture. But understand, sometimes you have to think about the political ramifications of the decisions you're making. I still stood by my vote. I, I would still vote the same way, but I now would know there are consequences with the way you vote on things. So um, it was kind of more of a, a, a teach, teachable moment and lesson, but not one where I really needed to go uh, make amends with everyone because I think everyone made their uh, message clear to yeah. <laughs> that yeah. moment. You voted your conscience, uh, which is good, and they they exacted revenge. Okay. Um, I want to talk a little bit. You mentioned this, but you've been really um, it's you've been it, you've been instrumental in pushing, you know, high tech and innovation, and you've also been instrumental in pushing you know, more access and empowerment for low-income communities. And oftentimes those conversations happen in two very different sets of rooms and two, and they get siloed politically and policy-wise. But you've started to marry them. Yep. So can you talk about what that looks like in Houston? Absolutely. To make the new, the future economy work for, work for everyone? Absolutely. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I'll go into a, a group of lower socioeconomic status individuals and, and start talking about something like tech and innovation and immediately that you can just tell the di- diversion of attention. Oh, you're not talking to me. And I say, oh, yes, I am. Because one of the things that's so important is that we are training and preparing and providing access to people with the tools that they're going to need for the jobs of tomorrow. It does you no good to have the job, the tools for the jobs of yesterday. You've got to be prepared for the jobs of tomorrow. And we've got to be putting mechanisms in place so that you will have access to that opportunity. So when we start talking about these v- this VC investment, right, there's a lot of energy around that. 
who are we gain who are we providing access to so i go in those rooms and i say are we opening these doors up or is this something that's closed to the people that you feel most comfortable with and you know best or are we willing to open our doors and really be inclusive in this effort and maybe do additional outreach that may be necessary so people can come to the table i won't tell you the same thing that you've heard well i will tell you because um, i'm saying it now but uh you know the adage in politics about if you're not at the table you're what's on the menu and that is so very true um in terms of people not necessarily purpose you know on purpose leaving someone else behind but they're just not being thoughtful enough to to invite them in and so that's the bridge that I hope to continue to make in terms of providing access to opportunity once you provide people with access opportunity that the, the po possibilities are limitless but if they never got an opportunity just that one shot to have access or never got that invitation into that room that's closed door um, then how will they ever have the same opportunities for upward mobility um, you, you won't be able to provide that and and one of the things that's so important for Houstonians to recognize is that we're it's an it's all interconnected so don't think that on one side of town it doesn't matter what's happening there it doesn't affect your side of town they all affect each other and I'll tell you as someone who looks at the budget it's all the same pot <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and so it all does make a difference in terms of whether your concern is is public safety and you want to see more law enforcement well guess what if we can't pay for more law enforcement because our city is struggling or our tax base is suffering then guess that's going to create a problem on the side of town that thinks that their community is disconnected and, and just needs more police officers what we have to do is work together and make sure that the whole is healthy and do you feel like from that work at the many tables, and Houston is really unique in that it's um, <clears throat> it's a major city, it's a diverse city, it's in the middle of the country, uh, and you're diversifying your economy. Are you optimistic about the future? Uh, are you seeing that, that, that this innovation economy is going to be able to, to serve everyone and serve places that aren't on the coasts? Oh, I'm so excited. Uh, um, I think you probably saw my face light up. Yeah. Um, it's the first time, I and mean, we've had such uh, a positive track record in terms of strength of economy, in terms of being home to the world's largest medical center. We have the second busiest port in the nation. Um, we're very fortunate to, oh, we also are the energy capital of the world. We have a lot of very unique things in Houston that have created a very healthy economy for us. Um, and, you know, sometimes when you have that type of fortune in terms of health and access to capital, you're not as hungry as you would otherwise be to continue to evolve and innovate because what you have before you seems to be going well. But as you may know, uh, the Fortune 500, half of the Fortune 500 companies that are Fortune 500 companies today were not Fortune 500 companies 50 years ago. So what does that say? That how does that statistic talk to you about? It's really about the ability to evolve. So the tech and innovation space really supports existing industry and creates brand new industry. I'll give you a statistic that caught the attention of our mayor. Um, in Chicago, they went from $390 million of venture capital investment to $1.7 billion in about five years. That's a game changer for an economy. And so thinking that about that as a driver on its own right, but then also how it supports and enhances your existing economy 
economy, it's a win-win for everyone. And I think with uh, the price of oil going down the way that it did in the last few years, it got the attention of a lot of folks who would otherwise kind of pat you on the head and say, oh, that's nice. Keep working on your innovation stuff and say, okay, now what are you talking about again? Because we need to start thinking about the future now. And so you've got folks who would never otherwise be at that table, the innovation table, interested. So corporations, um, you have academia, very interested. Uh, various institutions in the city are very, very interested and in, in engaged in trying to work on the innovation economy. You have the government at the table at the same time as the investor, investor community and at the same time as your startup community. So those are the five major pillars of that space, bringing them to the same table at the the same time and now having the same strategy or recipe for success has never been done in our community in that regard. It's usually like, oh, some in, in, in this effort, people have been interested in tech and innovation. It just hasn't brought everybody to the same table at the same time with the same plan. And so this is an opportunity for us really to kind of excel in that regard. And, you know, I always like to tell everyone, it's just getting back to our roots. We've always been an innovation hub. We just haven't branded ourselves that way. Think about, you know, the eighth wonder of the world was, you know, the Astrodome or NASA is right in, you know, the, the heart of Houston. Well, not in the heart of Houston, but is in Houston. Um, and, and with home of the world's largest medical center, you know, exponentially larger than others. And so, again, a lot of innovation that's happened in our community, science, technology, has actually happened here. We just haven't figured out a way to support it in the startup environment. And so now we are really focused on that. So I'm really excited about what the future holds. So you're optimistic for the future of your city. So what's uh, what's your future for a, a really effective council member who's now having national impact but hates politics? <laughs> uh, what, are you, uh, what are you thinking about what might you do next? Well, right now, um, focusing on being effective. I think so many times, and this is another thing that I want to make sure when I talk about service, that we really keeping in mind that my job, it's great that, you know, it's great that I have these credentials and have these experiences, and that makes me equipped to be effective. But the primary driver needs to be being effective. And so keeping that focus, which I, I believe I've been able to do in terms of being effective, what have you accomplished? That is the question that I encourage my constituents and other con constituencies all over the place to ask the question, not necessarily what are you working on, but what have you finished? What have you accomplished? What have you delivered? Um, is the question that I try to focus on and make sure that it's something that's transformational. Not, not everything you do on a daily basis is going to be transformational. Occasionally it, it will not be right. But having a good balance of those things that are and are not, and then looking at the opportunities ahead in terms of where are there new opportunities to be impactful. So I think for me, having that trust with residents, making sure that I'm being impactful with them in the work that we do. Um, there's some new uh, new policy that's coming on the pipeline, and we're having a lot of conversations right now. You know, I don't know exactly where we're going to head with this, but opportunity, opportunity zones is something that is coming uh, coming ripe for discussion. And so what did that, what is that going to mean for our communities? And so, um, it's a double-edged sword. I mean, it can be a very positive things if the investment is invested in a community in a way that doesn't displace, but it could be a tool that 
uh, enhances or furthers gentrification. And so in a city like Houston, we have to be very careful about that. Um, Very, very careful about that. And so we're having conversations, not in terms of just at City Hall or just in my office, but rather bringing this to the community and saying, what are your concerns? What are the things that you think we need to be worried about now that regulations are starting to come out? Comment period is open. Engaging the residents, bringing them or inviting them to the table is what I really seek to do with this work. And so um, for now, uh, I am focused on that and have some things I want to see some progress on in terms of transit and some projects that I'm working on. Um, But longer term, having that kind of relationship with the community is essential. Um, And if I can't have impact and I can't have a trusting relationship with my community, then I'm not really being the type of public servant that I think that community and residents deserve. Well, thank you for your service to both the community and to, to helping all of us think through these issues. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us today. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Hey everyone, we're taking this show on the road. We're going to the TomTom Civic Innovation Festival in Charlottesville, Virginia on April 10th. It's an amazing gathering of leaders and we'll be talking to a few of them. Go to TomTomFest.com for more information about the event and I hope to see you there. Thanks for listening to An Honorable Profession. If you like what you're hearing and what these leaders are doing, please tell your friends about An Honorable Profession and rate us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. And keep asking your elected officials to be honorable. Boots Row Group produces podcasts. I'm Ryan Coonerty. And because we're keeping things honorable, no tax dollars were used in the making of this podcast. Mm-hmm.